Hey geeks, it's Jana and Ashley. Thanks for joining us this episode of the Geek Girls Universe podcast, your place for the latest geek and fandom news. Hey friends, welcome to season two of the Geek Girls Universe podcast. We are kicking this season off with an interview with Stephen Boyle, head of Creatures for Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters is one of the films that Jan and I recapped on our 2020 podcast of movies and shows that we really like. So if you haven't seen it, it's coming out tomorrow, January 5th on Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah, it was one of my favorite movies of the year. My kids loved it. It was super fun. When we did the press stuff, we got these really cute shirts don't settle, even at the end of the world, you know, had some great Which lessons. Which gives me a lot of weird looks at the store, mind you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, what is she implying? And I'm like, it's for a movie, calm I mean, down. <laughs> but listen, 2020, 2021, we just don't know what's going to happen. So quite frankly, these shirts are appropriate. Facts. But I digress. Stephen Boyle was super entertaining. His special effects work is fantastic. He has an extensive filmography, including what we do in the shadows. The movie, not the show. The movie, he worked correct. On the, yep. He worked on the werewolf effects the werewolves. for the, the movie. Yep. And he worked on Star Wars, Attack of the Clones. He, you know, works in makeup special effects as well. But he, as head of creatures, he did both CGI effects and practical effects. So there are both puppets and digital monsters in this movie. We spent about 15 minutes talking to him about his work on it. So check out the rest of the interview. All right. So Stephen, thanks so much for joining us all the way from Australia. Yes. Welcome. Yes. Yes. And what all time the is it there for you? Uh, it's about just quarter past 10. So it's oh. not too bad. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad at all. Yeah. It's not like the wee hours of the morning or anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, um, no, it's very respectable. Okay, good. Perfect. Well, we're super excited to talk to you about the process of creating monsters and the special effects that we see in the film, Love and Monsters, and learn a little bit about how you brought them to life and the process and all of that and the special effects work that you do. Of the creatures that were in Love and Monsters, which were the most challenging? Do you have one that was like your favorite or the most fun? Or is there one that you were like, I am never doing this type of monster again because it was just the worst or the most challenging? Tell us about the monsters. Um, I, I don't think there was anything I would say I wouldn't do again. Um, maybe I was saying that while we were making it, but um, I'll probably cool down after that. But I think... Um, um, my favorite was um, the buzzard, you know, which was the bunker creature in the shower. It kind of comes out and, um, and I think that was my favorite because it's just, um, um, it was such an asymmetrical um, mismatch of just flesh and slime and thorns. And it, it was just really, really fun to do. Um, and, um, you know, when I was a kid, that was the sort of stuff I always wanted to do. And it's that kind of creature that's pulled me into doing this kind of stuff um, for a career for so long. Um, so that was my favourite uh, to do. But my most challenging was definitely Mavis. Um, and there was a couple of different reasons for that. We thought she was going to be all digital. Um, and when we started the job, we had no idea that we were going to be making her practically. Um, but... Um, she was, yeah, I think mainly because we had to get all the pieces 3D printed and, and subcontract that out and 
we were trying to orchestrate everything um, and just trying to get everything together in time was always going to be really, really tight. But probably about four hours before we actually filmed her on location, she was just a hundred pieces on the table that we were trying to assemble her really, really quickly. Um, so I think um, that was the most challenging for sure. It was one of those ones where you think, oh man, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the one that isn't going to work. But she did and she was she worked beautifully. That giant monster that we never quite see, the one that's like off screen where they um, they leave the bait for it to like lead it away. My husband was like, man, I really wanted to see that monster. Was it always yeah. supposed to not be on screen or did you actually have an idea for what it might look like if they let you squeeze it in? No, I, a lot of that stuff was, um, uh, it, it's actually interesting because that seemed to be the whole approach for this movie. Like, you know, you can, you do a lot of creature stuff and they kind of really show it and show it off. And, um, but this was a much more intimate approach, which personally I liked because you wanted to see more of everything. And I think it's better to just get little suggestions and want to see more than seeing too much of them. So, um, and, and a lot of these, um, like I remember the storyboards, a lot of things were suggested that didn't really change that much. Um, yeah. How many of the monsters were practical builds versus actual just like CGI monsters? I think, oh geez, I'm trying to remember. We did lots of those, um, you know, like the, the, the gobbler creatures, uh, we did those as puppets, but they were also taken over as, as CGI. Um, we, Mavis was practical, the buzzard in the shower was, I'd say 80% practical, and then they did some digital legs. We built the big centigator, a big centigator creature, uh, which was just dead in a room. Um, the queen gobbler that exploded, uh, we built her. So yeah, there was quite a lot. I would say we, um, but the stuff like the frog, um, the, the pool frog we built sections of that, like different tongues that have to do different things, but the frog itself was all, was all digital. Um, but we ended up doing more practical stuff than I thought. You know, I thought it might just be like a tongue here and there or a piece of skin or something like that, but we were still being asked to build whole full creatures. I, th I think that added to the movie. I think that's why one of the reasons we liked it so much. And I know in my review, I was commending the fact that there was such the, the practical effects were there because I feel like it grounds the movie more in something yeah. that's more realistic and, and like, yeah, if we hit the end of the world, you know, sometime in the near future, like totally see these creatures coming to life. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, it, it, I agree. Yeah. So you designed, I know you did some work on what we do in the shadows, which I love and did werewolves. So you've done things that are, you know, they've been around, they've been in lore forever, you know, it's just kind of your own take. And then you, you've done stuff where it's newer monsters or creatures that have never been seen before, like in Star Wars or what, or Love and Monsters. Which one do you prefer? Do you like taking something that's kind of got a classic spin and making it your own or just completely coming up with something right that's off the cuff? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> because I actually don't know the answer to that. I, they, they excite me both in different ways. Nothing excites me more than building something that hasn't been seen before. But at the same time, the idea of doing something traditional like a vampire or a werewolf and 
showing in a context that we haven't seen before. I get a real buzz out of that too. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things we did with um, uh, Daybreakers when we did all the vampires for that. We tried to do, you know, something very, very different. So I, I don't know. I think I kind of swing between the two. Um, both are hugely satisfying, hugely satisfying. I guess um, with building all new stuff, you don't have um, you don't have to break through people's conceived you know ideas of what a werewolf should look like, what a vampire should look like. Um, you can be a bit more free and a bit more crazy. Um, and also, it's not compared in the same way. Like if you do your own version of Frankenstein, people are oh, not as good as Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. You don't get that comparison. Um, but I yeah, I love doing both. So kind of along the lines of that. Is there a dream project that you have? Is there some kind of a character mm. or monster that you want to bring to life that you haven't yet? I could always do another vampire movie. And I could always do another werewolf movie. Um, I think that I, I, I still do have a lot of ideas for things. I haven't done my version of Frankenstein yet, so I'd love to do that. Um, but um, I, I've been really lucky. I think of... Um, I've done most of what I've always wanted to do. Like I've kind of gone, achieved a lot more than what I thought I, I would have. I've had the most amazing opportunities and um, across all genres um, and working with like the best artists in the world and the idols who, the people who are my idols as a kid and now some of my closest friends. It's just the whole trip has been amazing. So yes, I think if I was to boil it down, probably a Frankenstein something. Yeah. That would be fun. I would love to see your take on that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, is there anything you can share with us that you're going to be working on soon? Like where we're going to see your work pop up next? If you're allowed, I know how <laughs> studios are. I don't know. Um, I've just finished a possession movie and I'm just about to do another horror movie shooting here in Australia. I can't say anything about that one. Um, and also, um, uh, I may or may not be doing some alien effects for a series. It's so hard because I'm contracted up to the wazoo on those. But um, yes, there's lots of stuff that we'll be doing coming out over the next 18 months. I love it. Horror movies, um, alien effects, you know, those are great yeah. things. <laughs> They are, they are. It's what makes the world yes, go Yes, things that you may or may not be able to talk about even better. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's always, um, yeah, there's always, <laughs> I just broke my computer this morning. Um, yes, there's always cool stuff coming out. But I, we also did this TV series called um, Harrow for ABC. Um, the third season for that is just about to start. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the alien stuff. Nice. So... Yeah. How how did you get into creating special effects? What made you want to be a special effects artist? I know you've done some makeup and, and that type of thing, which, you know, clearly there's a natural fit there, but what drew you to this as a career, as a passion? I don't know what drew me to it. I just remember being obsessed with it from the very, very beginning. Um, and I've I've had this conversation with my mother and my sister many, many times. And they're like, no, it was, it was early. It was like two, three years old. Um, and I've never wanted to do anything else. Um, it was that one thing that um, I wasn't particularly good at school, I'll be honest. 
um, because I just didn't really connect with what I was being taught. It was a very different world because we didn't even have internet. So if I wanted to learn how to do something, I had no access to how to do it um, or how to learn how to do it. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just one of those things that um, it kind of chose me and uh, I got the bug very early on. Um, and, uh, like, I'm creatively ambitious but not careerist, if that makes sense. Like, I, I'm much more interested in what I'm making um, and that's what my, my decision is. I'd rather take something where I get to build something a lot more exciting than something where I'm building something boring and getting paid more. Um, I'm just, I'm just passion led. I always have been. Um, so, um, and yeah, from that, it was just building it as a hobby. I was um, obsessed with it and um, it, it was all I wanted to do. And I just started to get better by accident, basically. Did you have any puppeteers or special effects artists specifically that you looked up to as a child? Oh yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, Richard Taylor, who um, has his company Weta with um, Peter Jackson, and um, I got, got to go over there and work with them for a few years. I was there for about five years. Gino Acevedo, who works there, Rick Baker, Rob Botin, Dick Smith, all those guys. Um, all those guys, because it wasn't just about special effects, they were just really original thinkers. And um, they were great problem solvers and they used a really bizarre art form to problem solve. Um, and yeah, those guys were amazing. Like there's amazing special effects artists now, really young guys, like there'll be some kid in Mexico who's like a thousand times better than me and is like 13, but um, that happens, but at the same time, it's not the same. Like um, when the when there was just so few people doing it, you know. Like I, I that was I was the only one who was wanting to do it when I was a kid. Um, so, um, but yeah, times have changed. Thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. We learned so much. You're so welcome. Can't wait to see what things you've been working on that you know you're not allowed to tell us. So we're just gonna yep. have to stock IMDb and see what pops with your name. Absolutely. Yep. I won't be far away. All right. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much. I appreciate yep. it. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Geek Girls Universe podcast. As always, if you have something you want us to cover, give a shout out to us on Twitter at that Ashley Aaron and at Whiskey and Sunshine. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for more geeky goodness.